Hello and welcome back to the Irish Tennis Updates podcast. My name is Adam, your host. This week I am chatting to Joanne Williamson. Joanne has been involved in tennis for her whole life. She travelled to Nick Bollettieri's Academy in Florida uh, when she was a teenager and represented Ireland at the Junior World Championships. More recently, Joanne has played for Ireland at a senior, at a vets level and done so very, very well. Joanne also has been involved in coaching for for a number of years and is currently based in Cork. She has a lot of passion for tennis and a lot of great stories. I really enjoyed talking to Joanne and getting to hear the stories and getting to hear her her thoughts on all things tennis. I hope you enjoy this episode. Here we go. Here is Joanne Williamson. All right, Joanne, a a big thanks for coming on today. Uh, How how are things with you? Yeah, things are really good. I'm... uh... Just home from a really lovely, beautiful, soft day down in Cork, and uh, I've been lashed out of it uh, for about the third week running. So uh, we had a sunny day about two weeks ago, and um, I think that was our summer. So yeah, yeah, all's, yeah. all's good though. All's- yeah, yeah. Um, now I just want to start, Joanne. Um, I've I've seen recently, I guess over the lockdown, maybe more so than you had before, but you can tell me a little bit about that. Um, of some of the writing that you've done and, and some articles that you've you've written. So I guess would you tell me a little bit about? I guess you're, you're kind of interested in that and is that something you've done before is that something you kind of wanted to do and then a little bit I guess on on, on the topics you've you've kind of write, written about and, and how you come you came to to kind of choose those topics. Okay so I I got into it originally I'd I'd wanted to do journalism and public relations in college and I was due to go over to the states to uh, Utah on a scholarship many many moons ago but I fell into coaching um, a little bit by accident and I put my scholarship on hold and then um, I really kind of just didn't pursue it then once I found coaching I just continued with that but then recently uh, my my husband actually writes for a newspaper down here the the echo the one that I've ended up doing the articles for um, and he writes it through with cricket but I it kind of came about as a bit of a, a challenge like everything does with him which is a bit of a bet as to see whether I could actually do it and that kind of thing um and he said you know if you're going to talk about writing and put up these posts on Facebook and blah 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 why don't you actually look into doing something you know write a blog or you know approach the newspaper and I kind of said oh yeah no I will eventually he sort of said you're never going to do it so as soon as I heard that immediately I was on to his editor and I said look you know I have you know I I have a, a love of putting things on paper and I'm just wondering whether you'd be interested and uh, thankfully he was looking for female writers so he came back to me immediately and said yeah listen throw something down and it was just on the back of um Gronje O'Neill had just done a piece with um women in sport so it was kind of really good timing so she had just done a really nice interview with highlighting some some things that I'd done in the past on my own coaching kind of pathway in that and um, I suppose that sort of did me a couple of favours and he said, look, throw together, uh, you know, 900 words on a, a piece of paper and let's let's see what the story is. And shockingly, he published it. <laughs> and and then like anything else in, in life, I think it, um, it just kind of spirals from there. And so um, a bit like a dog with a bone, I've been kind of on to him saying, well, you know, do you want this to be weekly? Do you want it to be just when something comes up in tennis and there isn't a huge amount of tennis coverage anyway so it's a it's a really good it's a good avenue for us to kind of even get anything across in any way shape or form of whether it's coaching whether it's tournament results there used to be an awful lot in when I was growing up 
you know, in the Irish Times and it was a really proud moment to see your name in there. Whether you won or lost now is a different story. But um, we think we've kind of lost that because of social media. And it's not no no shame on you now, Adam. Like you're doing a brilliant job. But it does tend to people stop seeing it in on a page. And uh, yeah, so he just, he went with it and I've been doing it ever since. So I, I don't know whether I'm... Uh, running out of topics or I'm just going to have to start finding and digging a little bit deeper but maybe when competition starts back up that'll change hopefully. yeah yeah well I guess it, it's kind of an interesting thing because you sort of mentioned that you know it is obviously a very limited coverage of the tennis with guests and it seems mostly it's going to be you know like when there's a grand slam or something you know, it's not something that's a huge news anyway whereas you know it's, it's great that you can kind of have these articles that aren't about huge tennis news they're actually just about tennis in a in, in a very different way which I guess is, is not is really nice to see and, and yeah. a, a, a couple of the articles you've written, I guess, I think I saw one about, in, about enjoy tennis. Um, so a couple of the ones that you've had, what, what, how did you kind of come to choose those and, and how did you find the kind of writing the different ones? Um, well, I think the first, the first one that I did was, was quite, it was a no brainer because, you know, we were so, was so locked in um, and we were being made promises that weren't be kind of being kept and nobody could really see, you know, an open tennis club for miles. So it um it was just more of a, an emotional plea more than anything it wasn't uh, it wasn't directed at the government or directed or uh, there's nothing political supposed to come across from it it was very much just an open plea of you know please let us go back and play some tennis it's not going to you know it's not going we're not going to you know stop following social distancing guidelines etc cetera, etc cetera. so that's with that one it was kind of easy and then when the editor came back to me and said you know i i, I really liked it um and after I picked myself up off the floor for him saying that, um, the then came the challenge was he actually asked me to write a piece on women in sport, which I thought, great, I've, you know, I've just had Gronia doing that and she's doing such an incredible job that I was kind of going, great, I can just pick through all the things that she's done and put them all together. But when I submitted my piece, he actually came back to me um, and said, no, I, you know, I don't want it just a tennis view. You're only giving me a tennis view. And I was, I was kind of going, but that's what I thought I was supposed to be doing. And he he really kind of pushed me. He said, you know, I'd prefer that you, you know, dug a little bit deeper and you looked maybe into other sports. And it was, let's put it like this, it was lucky that it was done over COVID because there's no way under the sun that I could have done it, you know, have to have done it if I was coaching at the same time because it took so much time. And I really put everything into kind of like doing the research into women in sport and I'd never heard of Rachel Blackmore. I should have been hung, drawn, and quartered. Um, she's a, a very, she's unbelievably famous now in horse racing. Um, I'd never dug into it in, into any other sport, which is probably the, the wrong thing for anybody who's writing, you know, and trying to put information out there about women in sport. And I didn't know my my information, so I really dug deep and I got into it, got my teeth into it, and I was absolutely thrilled with the result because it was it was something that so many people came back to me and said geez you really hit the nail on the head and it wasn't um a finger pointing at anybody to say that there wasn't any you know any coverage of women in general it was just you know we it could do better and it wasn't a sexist piece or anything like that it was just and it was really enjoyable although it broke my heart to do it because it was so hard I, I was really out of my comfort zone a little bit like this totally out of my comfort zone um but the the inclusion, the sports inclusion and disability piece was was just something that had to be done because um, I've 
I kind of over COVID, I did a couple of courses about, you know, disability and inclusion and um, the tennis with visually impaired. And I, I, I think the main thing was, was that I was so scared about it. You know, it's, it's a topic that I think an awful lot of us back away from because we're not sure whether we're going to offend people that we have a lack of knowledge or, um, you know, that kind of thing is, is very difficult, I think, for coaches to admit that they're not good at something. Um, and I just, I felt that if, if I could give it a bit of a push, one, it might make me more familiar and more, you know, more comfortable with the idea that I could give classes. Um, and Liam O'Donoghue, who you spoke to, I mean, wow, you could just sit down and talk to him for, I'd say, a week. Um, he's so much information. The, is, the stories he has are incredible. I mean, it's, it's a drive from inside. It's incredible. Um, and then, you know, it, as well, there was a couple of times I talked to Alwyn O'Toole and her stories are just so funny about how she got around um, really involving herself with players with disabilities. And the stories are incredible. And I, I love that. I just think that that's something that, you know, I hadn't done before. So once I wrote the article, I realized that there was um, a, an avenue for coaches to, I suppose, expose themselves a little bit more towards things that they're not comfortable with. And um, we need more classes. It's as simple as that. You know, there, there isn't enough disability sports and, and inclusion. Uh, there isn't enough classes for wheelchair tennis or uh, VI tennis. And so I'm I'm. I'm thrilled that I got it out there and there was a, an unbelievable response. I really I got so many messages saying, listen, the article is great in itself, but we didn't know this and we didn't know that. And that's the, yeah. my job is done. If that's the case and the information has gone out there, well, then that's it. That's all. Um, but now I get to do um, a, a VI tennis class, which I'm starting next week. So I'm terrified again, but really looking forward to it. And uh, it, that's down in Bananlock. I'm, I am excited about that. And that's kind of come off the back of the article. So, you know, good things are happening. Yeah, no, great. And, and obviously, as you say, it is, uh, it, it's a great kind of area and something that, uh, you know, most definitely isn't done, there isn't enough done for it. And I think, I think that's growing. I think there, there's more. And obviously it's great to see they have the, um, the VI class starting. I think it, it is just a great area to, and as for coaches as well, just to be involved with, as well as there, there are other sessions to, to have some of these going on, I think is, is great for them. It's great for everyone, really. Totally yeah. agree. Totally. Yeah. I think more the more that um, we can shake off the the fear, and there is a fear. I mean, I did a um, an interview with a, a girl who was doing her thesis on for Mary I, and she's doing it on um, you know players with autism in tennis. And um, she when she spoke to me first, she said, you know, like would you be able to help? And I kind of went, I, I don't really think so. Um, you know, I don't really, I don't have t classes that are tailored towards um, people, who, you know, who, who are autistic. And I, as we talked, I discovered that I actually, we probably already run classes that, you know, have children who are on the spectrum. And we, how we deal with it is that it's, it, it's inclusion. It's just bringing them into, into the same fold as everybody else and maybe working with them in a different manner, et cetera, et cetera. And it, it, that was really kind of like a light bulb moment where I sort of went, well, you know, if I'm not scared to do that, well, then why am I scared to just to do a class for somebody who has vision impairment? Is it because I'm putting a label on it? So that's kind of where I've gone with it now is that my my kind of like my put together or my view is that, you know, every player is a player and whatever we can do to help them is, you know, is the same for everybody, just slightly different. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, that's really, that's really good. Um, and I just want to 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 move on a bit, and I guess to to touch on to your your own tennis journey, um, a little bit. So I guess where did tennis start? How were how how were those junior days for you? Right, gosh, you're going very far back into the history books now. But um, I grew up in Dublin, which I hope you can tell from the accent. It's not completely Cork yet, I think. Um, but I grew up just down the road from Ellen Park, where Rob Cherry's head coach there now doing a fab job. And I was up swinging a golf club up in Ellen Park while my mum was, you know, I was going caddying or something like that. And Helen Lennon, who was an ex-Fed Cup player and um, ex-Fed Cup captain in Ireland, um, was the head coach there. Superb player, an amazing coach. And she saw me swinging the golf club. And with that, she went up to my mum and said, look, if you don't make a golfer out of her, could I give her a couple of free lessons? That was kind of the start of it. And she took me on then on, on a you know, coaching basis. And, um, you know, I lived within 10 minute walk of the place. I was, a, I was nine or 10. Um, and the first I remember the first year of playing like tournaments and my my dad used to come to the, you know to watch and I don't think I won a match I think I literally walked off the court every match after a six love six love and if I got a game there was a celebration at home type of thing but he he you know he really not pushed me but he persevered with you know saying that I, I could get I could do something with this and um the following year he passed away and I just something I don't know what, what happened but something came together and I started winning matches and there was um, a fabulous event in Leinster which was called the Barnival Babes and it was it was brilliant it was open to anybody under the age of 12 and then the the semi-finalists and the finalists were put into a squad and they were given subsidized coaching depending on how far you got through the tournament um, kind of like Leinster squads, but this was done on the basis of the results of the tournament. So um, the first year I played in it, I was knocked out in the first round. And then the second year I played in it, I won it. And that was the ball rolling. Um, and then by the time that the following year came around to fifth, I got to the final. And it was an incredible occasion. It was brilliant. I lost, <laughs> which was, you know, that was just part and parcel of the, you know, being able to, to say that I got to a final in fifth was was one thing. But from then on, it was just, you know, Leinster were very proactive with their squads. And, you know, the, we we trained once or twice a week and you had your groups and your private coaching and um, I, I never stopped then. Then it was Interpros and then it was, um, you know, traveling away to tournaments over to, to England and, you know that then it you know you kind of draw to where does it stop so it, it didn't it just kind of kept on going I ended up then in the south of France I was about maybe 15 15 or so and I was in a training camp down there in the very south of France with a fellow called Pierre Barthez and he would be like a, a national hero in France um, and I'm not too sure how my mum came across him but when when I went over I used to stay with this gentleman who was a a South African tennis coach himself and his wife ran the academy and um, I moved in with them basically and they had one son who was in the states on a tennis scholarship so I moved in with them and basically became their daughter which was just brilliant and fierce handy to live with the two head coaches in a, an academy and like, we're talking 30-40 tennis court and I, I ended up going to Boletaries in it would have been the beginning of fifth year for me. I'm not too sure why my mum kind of chose that time, but clearly the, the educational um, 
part wasn't hugely important, but fifth year from September through to Christmas, I went to Bollettaries and it was an amazing experience. Um, Unfortunately, I I fractured my toe about six weeks into it um, on a running machine. And that's why I claim I don't go on running machines anymore, is that there's just damage to be done there. But I, because of the injury, I I stopped training then for about four weeks. And then I just kind of said, look, I may as well. I'm here anyway. And um, I had been, I got into the, the main draw of the Orange Bowl. So, you know, you don't turn that down very often. So I, my mom just said, look, it's actually cheaper to leave you there. And, you know, you can stay and play when you can play and then play the tournament rather than fly you home. So, yeah. so that's what we went with. And Scott Barron had come over at that stage as well. And Scott's an incredible player. I'm sure you know him well. So we, we with Bollettaries, it's a, it's a very intense setup. I mean, my, my schooling was down to, I didn't actually attend school. So I, I was supposed to do homeschooling myself, but that really didn't work so well, um, particularly for the fact that I left half my books at home. Um, so we used to, you know, you, you'd be talking to an eight, nine hours tennis a day um, in gorgeous sunshine and, and everything else. But when you, when you break your foot or your toe, it's, it's kind of puts a bit of a dampener on things. So unfortunately, I just ate, ate all around me for, you know, a couple of weeks. And when you're talking about American breakfasts, it's pancakes to boot everywhere. And everything is very, there's, you know, there was very little control on any dietary um, things so I just yeah I went hell for leather into it and I, I'd say I put on about a, a stone even at the age of 15 I got very heavy very unfit um, and look I played the orange bowl and it, it, again it was an incredible experience and I'd I wouldn't change it I'm you know I possibly wouldn't have gone on the running machine if I'd seen that coming um, but it's uh, yeah it kind of shaped it kind of shaped an awful lot of the the ideas that I have myself about coaching I like Nick Bonteri is a genius He's an absolute genius, but um, his method of, of coaching for like in for me, it, it didn't work, whatever it was that he couldn't teach me how to hit a topspin forehand. He just couldn't. He actually gave up on me. He just went, you know, you're Irish. You play on different courts. You don't need it, you know, and uh, it was that kind of stuck in my head, whereas the uh, Francis Rostone was way better with explaining how to do it. So I think I kind of learned my my coaching methods from going through more detail than just this is how you do it and it's one size fits all so yeah yeah so that's kind of the bones of the story yeah 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 so I guess in terms of Bollettieri's um when he went over there obviously you kind of you mentioned bits about how that experience was how, how did that compare to what you would have expected going over what, what, what kind of were you were you like what, how, what kind of frame of mind were you in when you went over there um no frame of mind I mean I was being so the way I saw it was I was escaping from my mother for four months and that was a bonus um you know tennis was pretty intense in in my house my it was kind of like my my dad sort of wanted me to to do this and so because of that the pressure was on on me to achieve it and then when I did achieve it it was well now you have to maintain it which is a big ask of any any kid to be honest with you and tennis parents as I'm sure you know are pretty intense creatures um and yeah my mom was my mom was was brilliant but she was trying to do the job of a mom and a dad and you know me going off to voluntaries for four months at 15 years of age is actually I, actually I was at my last year under 16 so I was 16 I was pretty wild as well so it was a it was a brave move by her letting me out on my own 
Um, but the structure and the discipline of it completely suited me. I, I love discipline. I love routine. I, I thrive off it. So, you know, getting up in the morning and going for a run and doing your training before breakfast and then having your breakfast and then going back to the court and doing two and a half hours of on-court training, having your break, going back out and doing another two hours. You know, the, to me, it suited, it suited me. Um, and it's, you know, it, it's incredible. I made some very good friends who, you know, one or two of whom I'm, I'm still friends with, which is great and um, got up to lots of mischief. Uh, even though there was you're supposed to be very disciplined um you know there was lots of stuff you know we got to see we were walking into the you know into breakfast and there's Jim Courier and Andre Agassi sitting at tables and you're you know sitting beside them without you know care in the world type of thing so that kind of stuff when you can sort of say that you've you sat at a table not being bothered kind of getting all flustered and for the fact that these guys are players who are not only up and coming, but players who are in the top maybe 20 in the world at the time. So it's pretty, I, I like that fight side of it. It's fat. Yeah. Yeah. And do you have any, any stories of, of kind of meeting those players or spending time with, with some of those? You know, names? I have a story. You know, I have a story. <laughs> so that was just my way of asking you for the story. <laughs> it's uh, yeah, it's a funny one. It's, it's, a, it's probably a pure sign of me being cheeky which is, is probably what most people will tell you that at 16 years of age, that's what I was like. Um, but the, you know, I didn't really know top tennis players. So this guy sitting beside me with, you know, cut off jeans and long hair is just some dude sitting beside me in a cafeteria. I don't know who he is. So it's the process of booking courts over there for the hundreds of courts that they had, they had a rake of courts up the back of it and they had a curtain that kind of came around the courts. And a, a group of us always liked to go up and when we were given our time that we were to go and practice on our own, um, you know, we'd always go up there because nobody could see you, you know, so you could just kind of like do what you wanted, really. And so this one day in particular, you know, there's like 100 courts and we put our name down to book on onto that court. We'll say it's court 20. So we booked onto court 20 and that was fine. And we go up and the, the curtains are pulled around the court. So I was like, well, we booked the court. So whoever's in there is just, you know, get off. Yeah. And they were like, no, no, we go. Look, there's, you know, 90 other courts that are free. You know, you can go anywhere. So I was no, you know, on principle, you know, we should follow the rules and take our court. So they, I think the rest of them knew, you know, that there was somebody in there that obviously didn't want to be seen training. And um, so I just walked straight onto the court and, you know, this guy is there with his cut off jeans and his long hair and, there's you know two or three coaches and a hitter and I'm like well hi you know we've booked this course and you know, this guy kind of walks up to me and goes well I think you should leave you know kind of get off get off and, and I said well we've booked the course and with that Nick Volatieri comes around the corner and he's like Irish girl go home you know and I'm like going oh my god what have I done so it turns out it was Andre Agassi that I was trying to remove from the tennis court and uh, I got a week's work in the kitchen for trying to boot him off a tennis court so yeah a memorable occasion and uh um it, interesting I, I i learned a, a few manners off that one uh, yeah definitely see where you're coming from yeah you, you, you had the court booked he didn't have the court booked but yeah there you go see and unfortunately they didn't see it like that yeah i'm not yeah. surprised <laughs> <laughs> yeah no, fair enough um and so i guess in terms of the setup with Bollettieri, well what do you think is the the thing that makes it so, so successful I guess over the years do you think it comes down to kind of the the, the environment I guess that they they have and sort of the routines that you mentioned and 
how the days are structured and stuff like that? Or do you think it's more so maybe the, the level of the, the like the actual on-court coaching, the kind of quality of that? Well, where, where do you think the biggest strengths of that setup lie? I think when you have an academy the the size of of what it is and the financial backing of what they have, um, it's you know it's it's only going to work when I suppose when you when you get people who buy into it. I mean, there's no doubt in the world that uh, Nick Valteri is an incredible coach. When you look at the pool of players that he's you know helped to to get to the top, it's it's outstanding. The results are incredible. Um, he also has the benefit of having a lovely, you know, sunshine coming down on the majority of the year, which is obviously pretty good too. But, you know, like I said, it's not just the the top players that go there. And there's quite a few Irish players have been there. You know, like I said, Scott Marham was over there. Um, McNugent has been, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not too sure who else, but the, you know, there's a, there is a draw by the name in itself, you know, to go to the, the Voluntary Academy. But the girls that I was sharing the room with, um, out of the, the six of us, there's, I'd say, one who still plays tennis. You know, the others didn't. They weren't, they weren't there to play on the top tier. They were there to take a year out from, you know, an awful lot of them are, are French, Spanish, Italian. There's a huge base of that. And then they, they obviously run a really successful um, kind of after school, uh, you know, program where kids from local, um, you know, clubs and houses and blah, 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 they all come. So it's not just like, you know, an academy where you go and you sleep and you eat and you drink tennis and that's it. There's kind of like a club atmosphere to it as well. But, you know, if you're if you're if your name is Nick Boloteri, it's it's only going to ever work. You know, it's but he's whatever whatever way he's come up with uh, how to do things. It is it's a success story in itself. Um, The coaches that he has are, you know, there's a a lot of um, Spanish coaches Um. Not so many homegrown American ones. More, they're more Spanish and Italian, um, and you know maybe that's maybe that's why it works. You know, there there's a, a different element of the coaching, and you know, look, every coach is different. So you couldn't say that you know it's it, his academy works because the coaches are incredible. Obviously, the players you know go there because there's brilliant coaching, but. You, you know, there has to be something else. There, there must be, you know, the physical side of it. We did, the, the program included um, sports psychology with Jim Lair. Okay. And I, I, I'm so regretful of the fact that I didn't, um, I wasn't mature enough to understand what the sports psychology was about. You know, when, when he was giving his sessions and we were sitting, you know, on the floor or lying on the floor and he's asking us to visualize, you know, hitting our shots and stuff. The way my shots looked in my mind are certainly not the ones that came out on the tennis court. And it, uh, I just wish I had been able to embrace that a little bit more if I'd been older. Um, I would have, I think it would have worked a lot better. I think you have to be taught how to, to take sports psychology on rather yeah. than just, you know, throw you into it and see what happens. Yeah, yeah. No, no, it's definitely an interesting one. And a lot of different parts going on, obviously. It's, you know, such a big academy, as you say, a lot of, a lot of, parts to the machine kind of that all, all work together um, and and just to move on a little bit um and i know around that time you also uh you you, you would have represented ireland at the the junior world championships yeah um, so, <laughs> very fastly yes yeah, so you can tell me a little bit about about that experience how it went and, and where that was was firstly um well the the world's was in the the orange bowl is in florida so it's it's not far from um from uh, itself and 
I I was determined to play in it on the basis that I'd come all this way, you know, trained for four months and, you know, essentially I'm going to go out and play with a, an injury. Um, but I, I just think you embrace the opportunity and take the chance. And I went out, I, I played, I played like the number one in Trinidad, you know, and you kind of think as a comparison, this is, this is great because, you know, player from Ireland, player from Trinidad, and they're both playing on clay courts in the, the middle of Florida you know, this, this could be a decent matchup, but they had this newsletter, which they put out every day with all the, the names of the players and the matches and then ones that they'd highlight. And unfortunately they chose my match to highlight and said, you know, this little Irish girl coming over with her pale skin and, you know, you know, let's see how she fares. And that, oh, just the pressure, the pressure was huge. And I wasn't used to that. You know, if you go and play in, in the Irish clothes and you go and play in Fitzwilliam, there's a certain level of, you know, of competition that you get used to and you get used to, you know, moms and dads standing around watching. And we're talking about going to a court where there's, you know, 50, 60 people on, you know, sitting at the side of each court watching. And that's that's intense. That is intense, no matter what way you you cut it. But um, I ended up I lost anyway, I was on court for about three and a half, four hours. It was the wow. longest match ever. And if anybody who knows me knows that I can't keep the ball in like four times in a row. So it, it was really, it was a very, very long drawn out match. And I lost in the third, um, which was, look, that's the way it goes. And, you know, take it on the chin. And there's no, there, there was no excuse of I had an injury and blah, blah, blah. I was, I was unfit. I was too unfit to play on clay. Um, I, I probably would have been better off if I'd been playing on a different surface. Yeah. Um, and we did okay in the doubles. I played with a, a girl from Switzerland in the doubles and we got through a round or two. Um, and I, I think at that stage, I knew that it was doubles that I preferred to singles, but I think that's because I won, you know. But the 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 level of the players that were there, you know, Icy Yama Gami, I think it's her surname. Uh, she was in the top 20 in the world, you know, she, she was playing there. Magdalena Maleva, those guys, Wayne Ferreira, like I said to you, like th those guys were all playing you know, under 18 and under 16, you know, and like th those are some big names coming out of, you know, the following year when they move into senior tour. So, you know, being able to say that I even like, you know, sat around and, and you know, on a course beside those guys is, is kind of good enough for me at this point. I'm, I'm OK with that. And um, I had a, a, a good I had a good, I suppose, a good run with with junior tennis and um I, I think one of my biggest compliments was that the, we had a link to Wayne Ferreira because the guy that I used to go to in France into his tennis academy in Cap Dag, his son, Lindsay, like I said, was over in the States at a scholarship in Utah. And his best friend just happened to be Wayne Ferreira's brother, Bradley. So there was this connection already. And Wayne had been told that I was playing and that he was to seek me out. So he came over and watched a bit of my match and then at the end of it we sat down and we had a chat and we, you know, we ended up being you know mates and he was also dating my doubles partner again something that was very handy to have but um I think the biggest compliment for me was that after he watched myself and my partner playing doubles he you know he sort of said is there any if you do go and play pro tour which was completely out of my league and I wouldn't have you know put myself out there to do that not hope but he said you know if you do um let's go play some mixed and I was kind of like yeah okay and I you know it really didn't register as to who was saying this and 
a couple of years later, I sort of regretted the whole not following it up and seeing, yes, if I could go do this. But, you know, look, again, it's a nice story to be able to tell somebody at some stage that Wayne Ferreira suggested that we played mixed doubles. Did it ever happen? No, but it could have. <laughs> so. Oh, very good. Um, and to move you on a little bit, Joanne, I guess um, is still representing Ireland, but I guess at now more recently at a kind of a vet level. So how does that compare to, to the junior and how those experiences have been um, representing Ireland at that level? So, you know, the vets, vets tennis is is incredible. You know, I I have the utmost respect for uh, players who are playing for Ireland and players who are playing, you know, a GB is awesome as well. And people kind of think once you hit 35 that you're past it and that your best tennis has been played. And I actually think I'm playing better tennis now. Well, not right at this moment, but, you know, over the last five years, I think vets tennis in comparison to seniors and juniors is the it's a challenge. It's a you got to learn how to um, not just rely on your strengths. You have to, you know, mix it up an awful lot more. There's more thought process goes into it. Now, I don't play singles anymore at all, um, which I've sworn for the last, I'd say, 10 years that I will change. But it's, it's you know, it's not happening. And um, again, I think that there's a big element of that. I, I think I fear singles at this point. I can't remember how to play it. So I, I rely, I love doubles. I absolutely love doubles. I love the camaraderie. I love the competitiveness. Um, everything about it to me is, you know, exciting. Um, I'm, I have some great doubles partners as well, which also really helps. But the, the Vets tour, an awful lot of people kind of give it a hard time and say, you know, you're, you're going off just on a week's holiday. And I did a blog um, the last time that we were in, actually, we were in Florida and we were playing in the Orange Bowl. And it was it was unbelievable because I actually didn't cop on to where we were at all until my mom said it to me. She said, you sent me a picture there of you standing in such and such a place. She said, I have the exact same picture of you when you were 16. Yeah. And I was like, no, you don't. And she sent it to me and I kind of went, oh, my God, I never put two and two together. But so I was back in, in playing and actually doing a lot better than I did when I was 16. But the standard is unbelievable. I mean, we played the number one in in the four, over 40s age group in doubles in the world and like okay. we did okay against them and we took them to a third set you know that was and that was what three years ago and we can compete at at that level there we could definitely can i mean you look at the the, the men's potter cup team as yeah. well you oh, know yeah. I mean, if they and those you know i i know a lot of the guys that they were playing against you know the guys on the french team are the guys who go to the world's so yeah. you know so there is a level there that ireland can definitely compete at and uh, leslie o'halloran was part of the team that won the the worlds in the the 40s a couple of years ago so um you know the the standard is is really high i think what we lack um as players is we don't have the the clay courts to practice on an awful lot now i know that's changing it is changing nace have been a you know an unbelievable force in in showing how you know how they can in, in put in the clay courts and have everybody buy into it and train on it and I mean they're such a proactive club anyway um that I think they, they started the ball rolling with it and now it's we've none in Munster yet um I think it might be a far way off we need indoors a little bit more than we need clay but I think if we could get more clay the the, the players that are coming up in vets and um, we've got some seriously good 
players coming up in 35s. And I think that there's a, we can compete. I really do. I think that there's a, a huge opportunity in the next couple of years if the, if the players can go train a lot more on clay. So, yeah. but, you know, as, as tournaments go, um, the tournaments are, the, the worlds are an amazing event. They really are. They're amazing. I made some really, really good friends as well and some great connections um, with players, both in, you know, GB, Spain, Italy, South Africa, you know, all there. It's, it's great. It's, it's fabulous to be able to, to actually, you know, pick up the phone even and text those guys about what they're doing coaching wise and, you know, get, get an insight into what their country is doing. Yeah, yeah, no, really good. And, and I guess when you look at vets, which is 35 plus, and I mean, you know, that, that's, you can't really look at 35 as in tennis terms old in, in any way whatsoever. I mean, you look at like the top 10, I don't know, like probably, you know, in men and women, there's quite a lot that are, you know, up, to, you know, above 35. So you can't really, you know, it's, you know, it makes sense. There's, there's still a great level in, in, in that at all. Yeah. I, I don't think I, when I was 16, I don't think I ever thought I'd still be playing tennis at, at my age, of which we're not going to let anybody know. But, um, the like I I uh, started playing in the with the IC you know the Gina Nylands the the president there this year and I only started that maybe three years ago three or four years ago and that again that's an incredible opportunity for players because it's um I mean you're only getting the top players in the countries and we've had some amazing fixtures um you know I've traveled a good bit I've gone to England a good couple of times and you know, I've played on teams. Uh, James Klosky rang me up and was like, I'm captaining a team. Will you come to England? So I was like, I'm sorry, do you have the right person? You know, like, I, I don't care. You put me on a court with anybody, that's great. But to be able to say that, you know, I, I got asked to play in a team with Jane Fenley and James Klosky. I mean, these guys are serious players. Um, I don't know whether they brought me for the entertainment or as a mascot or something, but, you know, we played some great tennis and uh, we do a, a fabulous venue just not far from Wimbledon itself. And, you know, they're just a brilliant, the brilliant, brilliant fixtures. And so much work goes in behind the scenes into them that, yes, they do. They, there is a lovely social element to them. But the, when you get on the course, those those players have played Worlds. They've played probably a lot of them have played Pro Tour. So what you're getting is players with huge amounts of experience and look, there's no, there's no MasterCard can pay for that. Like that's to play against any of them is, uh, is an honor. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and just to move a little bit, I guess, from representing Ireland to representing um, kind of Interpro, representing provinces. So I guess obviously you, you, you grew up in, in Leinster, in Dublin, as, as you mentioned, and, and you now live in, in, in Cork and in, in, in Munster. So I guess, how did that move happen? And then how did you come to then be, be representing uh, Munster in the, these Interpro events? <laughs> with, with a lot of tongue in cheek and people uh, passing uh, smart comments about it. Um, I, obviously I played like Leinster, um, Interpro's all, all the way, you know, and um, actually I didn't play my last year under 18s, but with um I kind of gave up tennis then and took up the coaching and sort of I didn't play any tournaments that all went to the wayside and I really got stuck into coaching so by the time I met my husband um he's a cork man and we moved to cork I would have been it would have been maybe 2000 and I moved down here and I got back into the coaching down here which was which was brilliant but I was I was playing in a tournament. A friend of a friend of mine decided it'd be funny to enter me into a tournament in a club, a local club down here, and then tell me about it afterwards. So he did that, and I played the tournament and I won the tournament. And you know, tennis is a small, 
small world, so word travels and uh, thankfully they actually actually got a job out of it because they asked me to be their head coach then, which was fabulous. And um, But it kind of put me a little bit on the radar for, you know, playing tournaments. And then I kind of thought, you know, why not? You know, there's no pressure on me. Let's go, you know, play it. But one of the guys who I worked in the club with, in this club, Douglas, I love Leinster rugby. I mean, that's I've always followed Leinster rugby. So Munster rugby were winning everything at the time. So this guy thought it would be funny to give me a gift of a Christmas present of a Munster rugby jersey. And, you know, it's a nice jersey. So I said, OK, that's fine. You know, I threw it on and I was wearing it. And my husband turned around to me and said, you know, you can't wear that. And I was like, you know, it's a jersey and I got it as a gift, you know. And he said, no, 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 you can't wear that unless you play for Munster. And I went, yeah, yeah, whatever. And he, he's, he kept pushing the point. And like I said, you know, never say never to me. So he he was like, well, you know, you'll never play for Munster. And I went, right, that's fine. So the letter went off the following day uh, as to how do I, you know, how do I process uh, not playing for one province and playing for another? So obviously I hadn't played any tournaments or any, you know, any tennis for Leinster, you know, over whatever it was, eight years or so. So, yeah, so I... I kind of announced is that you know declared for Munster and the I missed that year because I'd missed the deadline for this you know for declaring yourself so I'd missed that but the following year I kind of got my act together and I was on their radar and I had played a good couple of tournaments and Elsa Rian was playing a lot at the time as well and um another lady Yvonne Flynn um and Karen Nugent and Yvonne Doyle were still playing a bit you know a good bit as well and you know, so they were kind of coming down and playing tournaments. And so if I was in the tournament and I was playing, it, you know, it kind of highlights when there's really good players in it, that if you even get, play against me, you get a couple of games, that's a, a huge positive. So I got to the final of a tournament um, Sunday as well down here and I played Elsa and a lovely match. I mean, she was way in a totally different league, but it, it was a really nice match and it got me onto the Interpro team. And that was my first year of selection was like 2002 um and then yeah then it, I, I just played the whole time and I think I, I was missing for a year I had a cold stomach muscle and I'm missing for a year then for being pregnant and one for the following year for you know recovering <laughs> and uh, um yeah and then I played all the way up and then just continued on to play uh vets at the same time as seniors for a couple of years and I tried to retire a few times and um, you know, there, there was an opening for a doubles player and had some results. So I got the call up and, but Interpros is incredible. I mean, it's, it's one of the best events in the country ever. Yeah. It's, yeah. I, I couldn't say enough about it. Like the buzz is completely different. And, you know, I grew up on a, a Leinster team of particularly strong players. You know, we had even like the, the men's side had like Stuart Doyle and Scott Barron and, you know, just so, so strong. The girls, you know, Lisa O'Shea, and it was, it was just so strong that we we always won, you know. Yeah. Um, and coming then and playing with Munster, there was this really good feeling of team and a striving team, like not that, that, that there wasn't with Leinster, but it was, it was a different feeling. It was like totally always being the underdog. And when you got one win, it was like you'd won the whole thing, you know, yeah, yeah. and... And that I hadn't been used to that feeling, um, and it's it, it, it's fab because it makes you work harder. There's nothing I wouldn't have done for 
members of that senior interpro team for a long time you know we, we strived so hard to to get a win and i think we were about eight years with pretty much the bones of the most of us being on the team the, a lot of the time and then one or two kind of like swapping in and out and that kind of thing and eventually we did get the win up in dundalk and i know to this day that if you asked any member of that team you know um what's their most favorite result that you'll get that interpro win out of their career in tennis and to be able to say that about a little you know a tiny little tournament in ireland is is huge but i'll never forget the feeling of getting that last point i didn't win it i didn't get the last point but the lads um rob Leahy and paul fitzgerald winning that match uh there's just no other feeling it was incredible it's just highlight literally highlight of my career i'd say um and then you know that the the vets into pros there's there's a lot of really good players and um, monster have only won it twice i think in the last good load of years you know but again there's there's some really good strong players coming up on a, you know in the, the younger age groups so maybe it's maybe it's monster's time again yeah yeah no no the uh, i don't I mean i i have very little experience of any interpro stuff obviously um compared to you know the stories that you've been telling and the stories a lot of people have um but like from the little experience that i do have it, it was an incredible event and it's something that i hope to to get to be involved with in some way uh over the years and yeah and get to experience kind of the atmosphere you're talking about and it yeah it just sounds brilliant and it, it is just a great thing i think it's like the the closest thing that the, us here will get to to college tennis because it's just you know winter league and summer league and everything else like I, I play summer league and winter league up in temple oak and you know it's great it's a team event and i love that but Interprose is a whole different level. I mean, the intensity and the, I mean, we're all friends afterwards, but, you know, you talk to somebody on a, you know, an Ulster team when you're playing against them that day, that's, you know, that's not cool. You know, it's, it, <laughs> and it is, it, it's cutthroat. It's, and Munster have always been known for being, you know, the loudest um, in support. And uh, I think that just comes from, you know, well, I think it comes from an awful lot of shouting and years of, of perseverance, but uh, I think it comes from passion and, you know, wanting to drive it on. And um, there's just, there's, it's, it, it, honestly, if, if I could recommend to anybody to play into pros, that is play all the age groups. Don't, you know, don't just get one, get all of them, play on the team, stay with the team. It's, it's fabulous. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, now, now, Joanne, I just want to ask uh, a couple more questions. Um, and, and in terms of coaching, I know we've talked a lot about kind of playing and, and, and various kind of uh, areas of that. But in terms of, of you, I know you moved into coaching, obviously quite young. So just tell me a little bit about how you fell into love with coaching and how that's kind of moved on over the years since that. So I got into coaching in when I was about 16 and they gave all the Leinster squad free membership in David Lloyd uh, Riverview. And as kind of like a little bit of a trade off, we used to help with, you know, junior groups and that kind of thing. And I didn't really think it was any any career choice for me or path for me at all. But um, a couple of years later, I, I the coach who was coaching me at the time was a fellow called Jimmy McDonough, a very well-known Irish coach. And I'd done my work experience up in Leopardstown in Westwood. And uh, he was the head coach up there. And I was going to him for individual sessions and he injured himself. And he could basically, he couldn't work his Leinster squats. Now he, he met my mom and he said, is there any chance? I was about 18 and I had come back from the States and I kind of packed up tennis. Um, 
you know, with the intentions that I would just sort of float off to the States and that would be it. But he he asked me to fill in and help him, you know, just to feed balls and that he'd give the instruction if I'd hit and, and feed and that there'd be a bit of pocket money or a couple of free sessions with him. Um, and so, yeah, so I did that. And I that was literally it. I shut the door on going to the States. I They, they called and they said, you know, why don't we just bump you off until maybe the, you know, the fall term and you can come over there and see how your, your you know, your bits of coaching go instead. And I said, yeah, that's fine. And then they rang, you know, next time and said, okay, look, you know, passport's ready and visa's ready and what's the story you know when are you coming and I was like I was still sitting on the fence and going and going I don't, I don't think I want to go and at that stage I'd just been doing more and more you know helping with Jimmy and doing some junior groups and that kind of thing eventually I just said you know what this it's not for me I'm just going to go straight into coaching and I was 19 at that that stage that was the end of it it was the that's that is it in a in a nutshell yeah, no, great. And I guess to 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 bring it um, to to now, I guess how are things still on that front, and and like how do you see coaching? Like you're obviously planning to to, to stay with it and, and keep going, and that's great. So how's how's that for you at the moment? I I love my job. I like you know I think if you if you can't stand out in the rain for four hours and you know do your job and still be able to come home and say I love my job, uh, something's wrong. But it's um you know, coaching is a vocation. It's not something that, that everybody is suited to. Um, I like people. I get energy from people. So that's, you know, to me, that's a bonus. And I've been very lucky with the mentors I've had. I, you know, I, I Paul Casey is an amazing coach. And I, you know, I, anytime I have something that's kind of like bothering me with coaching, coaching wise, or, you know, if I need some advice and stuff, um, I go to him. I think it's great if coaches can share information. I think there's an awful lot of kind of this is my pupil and you're not to touch them, you know, coaching, you're not to coach them. You're not to, I, I don't, I don't buy into that. I think, you know, the more that we can communicate as coaches, the better. Um, I, I love the schools program. I absolutely adore the schools program. We were in a program in about well, maybe six, six or seven schools in Cork. I, it's the one I really, really love. I really love watching the kids come from, you know, possibly four or five, six years of age up through the school into a club, work with them in a club if I'm lucky enough to do that, possibly move them on to, you know, higher level coaching, moving into, you know, senior tennis. I, I have, you know, 20 year olds. I am showing my age now, 20 year olds are coming back to me saying, oh, my God, you know, I remember when you coached me in school. I'm going, oh, my God, that's a that's a lot. That's a lot to be said for that. So if somebody can say that, you know, I'm still playing tennis and I remember you coaching me and you're a reason why I'm still playing. That's that's a job done. Take yeah. the box. That's, yeah. you know, that's something. Yeah, but yeah, the school's, yeah. Pro the school's program's fab and it's it works. It works really well to. You know, we've got some amazing, um, you know, probably not nationally ranked, but maybe provincially ranked players who've come up through a school and maybe wouldn't have taken to tennis at all had they not sort of had a, a you know, a go at it in a school's programme. And, you know, the mini tennis red ball stuff and in, done in small spurts is just brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. Um, but again, you have to be very tailored to school's coaching because it's not for everybody, you know, having a horde of like 30 kids 
all with different personalities running mayhem around a schoolyard it's not to everyone's cup of tea um i i have great fun with that i love it i wish i could do more of it i i don't i unfortunately i don't have too much time at the moment i'm hoping to do more in the schools next year but i have some really reliant uh, reliable um brilliant coaches that work in the schools program and they're just gifted in being able to to get the kids to develop and keep the numbers um building which is what you want you want you know lots lots and lots of kids playing tennis at a young age and um, because then as they get older and they start to drop off you're still able to maintain uh you know a, a high number of kids attending your sessions and attending clubs and that's what we want and the more they play the the better it is absolutely no no i guess it's an interesting one on the schools um because obviously it is quite a different experience to club coaching i'm sure um and i guess the fact you know the rest there are a whole bunch of kids and yeah like you really get to see them the whole way through and i guess it is it, as you say like it's different people might be suited to the club more or the school more um so i guess it, it just the question i have there is well what what is the best thing about the schools do you think compared to the club what what what, what do you like to, in particular about the I schools? Think, i think with the schools tennis it's you don't have to be good you know like when you go to a club always the kids who are like you know picked picked for the team games and that are always the good players you know and uh in the schools program it's it's such a friendship based um there's such a friendship based element to it that the kids are you know improving together uh they're attending because their friends are attending they're not attending as a, a you know oh my mum's friend plays tennis and so i want you to go and play in a tennis club and you know they're not playing like that they're they're playing because their friends are there and then they tend to move um they're a little bit like herds you know <laughs> if one kid goes to a, t a school's tennis program and four of her friends go with her when one of those girls kids moves to a club all four move to the club and so you have this lovely you know continuation of like a little bit like a conveyor belt of keeping kids involved in sport which essentially is what we want and they're doing it with their friends and i think by all the all the workshops and all the the um all the questionnaires and everything that's been done for the last year you know that we've spent doing so much stuff online everything that's been done to find out why teenagers give up sport why kids leave a sport it, it pretty much comes down you see it in big bold letters is friends you know and then yeah. there's the coaches so that's what i'm saying is that like not every coach is is suited to schools tennis because it's it's very snappy you don't get you don't get to see it sometimes the finished product because yeah. you know mary starts with you when she's five are you guaranteed to have mary till she's 13 14 and really starting to excel maybe no maybe not but i think the schools programs is just it's so essential that we have as many of them as possible and that then there's a good link with the club and then you know you have a lovely follow-on and it's even better if it's a local school like in 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 cork here the, the schools that i work in they're all based in and around the the kind of ballinlock douglas st michael's area and a coach in ballinlock a coach in st michael's you know of good mates who coach in in douglas so i'm quite happy to send the kids i'm not going or oh, they have to come and coach with me it's just get them to move from a schools program into a club program and then there's progression and that that naturally stays then kids stay yeah. because it's fun they stay because they've got their friends and then they stay essentially at the end of it if they like the coach 
you know? Yeah. No, yeah, I think that is a big thing, kind of the link then from school to club um, is obviously a, a, a huge thing um, for sure. I guess a big part of the skill set. Uh, just a, a couple of, of final questions, um, Joanne. Firstly, if you could go back and give your, 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 your maybe your teenage self some advice, what, what advice do you think you would tell yourself? Okay, so I kind of like the pathway that I took, to be honest with you, because I only discovered that I was really competitive when I got to senior tennis. I wish I wish actually probably that that if I if I could take the passion that I now know that I have for the sport and I could take the <laughs> the aggression that I have on the court to win. But it, that's done through the just wanting to win so badly for, you know, me and for my partner or for my team. If I could take that and transfer it to when I was growing up. I don't think I understood the team element of things, you know, and, and it's unfortunate because I, I believe I was a, quite a good player. I only believe that now. I didn't believe it when I was younger. But um, I think if I could give the piece of advice of that, if, you know, you believe in yourself, um, not necessarily, I don't mean this in a, in a funny way, but like do it your own way because I, I don't play the same as everybody else. I, I, I have a good backhand, but I, that's pretty much it. <laughs> my forehand is not great and it's technically not what you would call sound if you put me on a split screen with you know a beautiful player like Sinead Lowen you know it, it's there is nothing in my forehand that looks like hers but you know technically is only one side of the game you know if you can if you can achieve something without um having to make technical changes then you know that's a, that's a huge bonus so I think believing in myself and then also just having that Killer instinct. That's the words I was looking for. I wish I had more of that. I have it now in abundance. People are yeah, telling yeah. you that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, and finally, what is your favourite thing about tennis? Watching other people still play. That's, you know, like I've said to you over the last while is um, being able to say, I have, a, you know, a girl who's coming to coaching at the moment. Like, I mean, she's lovely. She, she couldn't hit a ball and she came to us she's very, very quiet. Her mum said, you know, her family are split up. Um, She's not outgoing, doesn't talk. And she came to tennis quite heavy. You know, physically she suffers from, um, you know, uh, asthma. And she just, she she needs to play sport for loads of different reasons. And every sport that she played, she just hated. And she came to us, was kind of like last stop shop. And she... She's still playing. This is eight, nine years later. Um, she's a different kid. Uh, she has friends through it. She wants to, she actually wants to go to a school closer to a tennis club, even if it means going to boarding school. Um, that's, that to me is, that's enough. That's my job done. Being able to say that that kid has, uh, it's brought her such joy, such love um and she's still doing it and i think that that's something that she'll have for years yeah um, uh, if, the, if that answers your question I don't absolutely know, absolutely and i think that, that's a great story and you know it's stories like that and, and other stories like it that, that are just great and i think tennis does have those kind of stories and i think that is mm-hmm. something that makes it such such a, a great sport in so many ways and um you know joanne obviously a big thanks again for for for, for talking i think I've, I've really enjoyed getting some of the stories and some of the different bits and pieces um no a, a big thanks for that um, and all, no all, all, the, all, the, all the best with hopefully a good summer and good weather maybe that you'll have over the summer and um, we'll, we'll see what comes but yeah all the best and, and yeah thanks very much
Big thanks once again to Joanne for her time and for sharing her great tennis stories. I really enjoyed that chat. I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode. If you did, please consider subscribing, leaving a comment and sharing the podcast with other people that you think might enjoy it. Thanks for that in advance. I've been Adam and until next time, goodbye.